Hello from the Clio Cloud Conference Online everywhere in the world. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Paula Davis-Lack. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here virtually. And today we've got a great guest. We have Paula Davis-Slack. She's the founder and CEO of the Stress and Resilience Institute. She's also a contributor to Forbes. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lawrence. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, I, I am too. I am too. You know, we're in this virtual world. It's kind of strange not being at a live conference. But if you're going to come to a virtual conference, you might as well come to the Clio Cloud Conference. They do a great job. Absolutely. I'm so excited to speak. Yeah. And as I understand it, you're, you're going to be presenting at a uh, session titled Developing Resilience in Teams. So let's get to it. So just in general terms, you know, uh, give us an overview of your presentation and the subject matter that you'll be talking about. Yeah. So uh, I'm really excited about it. It's one of the newer intersections that I've been exploring um, when it comes to the topic of resilience. And, you know, resilience is being talked about a lot these days is, you know, your ability to bounce back and deal with challenge, change and pressure. And we oftentimes think about it as to ourselves. How can we individually become more resilient? And there's a whole science around that. But what's um, really been interesting for me in my work is to get into the fact that we can start to apply these skills and develop develop resilience also at the team level. So how do we make our groups and how do we make, you know, sort of the teams that we are on able to bounce back and deal with challenges and change and pressure? Because of course, we're all experiencing that right now. Yeah. So I think for most listeners, just like me out there, we know what resilience means and we know obviously what a team is, but uh, in the way that you're using it, what is a resilient team? So a resilient team has some interesting kind of markers or dynamics to it. So first and foremost, resilient teams um, tackle challenges quickly. So there's there's no like, ah, we're going to wait for a while and see how this plays out. You know, certainly some strategizing and things, you know, can take place, but resilient teams really tackle challenges. They stay cohesive. So they, they preserve a lot of their connection, which can be really, really hard for teams in, in today's virtual world, but they, they remain connected. There's a sense of trust there. They really tackle tap into and know what all of their resources are so that they can bounce back quickly, tackle the challenges and move forward. Really, um, most importantly, learning from whatever the challenge or setback was to apply to future challenges. So so there's really those markers and then some really some cool kind of muscles or competencies that teams can actively work on to, to get more resilient. Well, and I, this may be kind of a uh, long-ended question, so I'm wondering maybe if you could summarize this down just a little bit. So as I understand it, there's a bit of a process to putting one of these teams together, right? So maybe you could just walk us through some of those building block steps that go into it. Yeah, so um, I, all you have to do is remember the acronym PRIME. So this is this is my months of research, kind of looking at my book and, and, and all of the work that I've done, kind of preparing um, the book that I that I just finished writing kind of comes down to just a handful of core competencies, again, that you can think of with the acronym PRIME. So first and foremost, it's developing and building psychological safety. So that's essentially trust at the team level. Um, prioritizing relationships, so that's the R. 
The I is impact. So do you as a team know what impact you're having within your organization? Do you talk about the meaning and the impact of your work? Um, the M is mental strength. So we oftentimes don't think about how our thinking can be productive or usually in challenging situations more counterproductive and how that impacts teams. And then the E is all about energy. So that's um, well-being, stress awareness. How, how can as a team you, you kind of gain that sense of, of energy? psychological safety. And so obviously I think 2020 sort of highlights the need for a lot of psychological safety. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world today, but as I understand it, this is a big critical component of these resilient teams. So can we delve into psychological safety a little bit and why that's so important to building that right team? Sure, absolutely. And it, to me, I mean, it's really been interesting to learn about not only is this an important component of resilience in high performing teams, I've put it in, in sort of the foundational level, right? If you don't have psychological safety at the team level, it's really going to be hard to kind of manifest or function or kind of get to that resilience that we're all talking about. And really what it is, is it's this, it's the, your belief, really. It's the thought that you have that you can show up to your team, that you can show up at work as yourself, you can push back, you can disagree, you can ask questions, all very respectfully, of course, but that you can do all of that without fear that you're going to be penalized, singled out, whispered about after the meeting, right? Um, you know, that crazy idea that Joe just had. And so you can, you know, do all of those things without worry that that is going to happen. And so what, when you feel that way, you're more likely to speak up, you're more likely to say, hey, I've got this kind of innovative idea or this partially formed idea that, you know, I haven't really tossed it out there with anyone before, but here's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, you're more likely to say if you've it, um, made a mistake or made an error. And so that becomes really important, particularly we're talking about folks in the legal profession, right? Um, and it's your entry point to belonging. So we also know that belonging is a very core kind of critical need that we need to feel motivated and resilient at work. And it just means that we feel like we're part of a group or a team that really matters to us. Like this is where we want to be. And this team really wants me there too. So it opens psychological safety opens the door to all of these good things that we need in the profession and that help teams really function at a very high level. So it sounds like, you know, you create this open environment where people feel secure enough to share. So you're going to get the most out of a team member. And if you get yep. the most out of the team member, the team becomes productive. Are you seeing that? I mean, higher productivity with these uh, with these resilient teams? Sure. I mean, you see you see higher productivity. You see a lot of goal achievement. You see teams accomplishing tasks in a different way or in a quicker way than teams that have lower levels of resilience. You know, and a lot of my work also takes me into sort of a stress and burnout prevention aspect. And so a lot of the strategies that I talk about are also meant to address that, right? So teams can do some very basic things. And when they do, they notice less burnout within their teams, which is, you know, obviously good on a, on a whole lot of levels. You see, you know, people who are more engaged, you see people who are less likely to leave their organizations or to leave their teams and less errors. And again, a lot of really good things that that we need in, in the profession. That's a great jumping off point. My, uh, my next question was dedicated to burnout and well-being. And so obviously with the pandemic, you know, I've heard obviously well-being is is uh, front and center, you know, not just personal health, but mental health too. I mean, I know that uh, I've talked with a lot of people out there, you know, friends and family feeling isolated, you know, they're, the city or the town that they live in, it's not quite as open as they'd like to be. And they feel a little lonely at home, working at home all the time. They're not getting those, uh, you know, not getting those interactions with people out in public like they usually do. But 
But uh, burnout, I think, is something that might be a little underscored right now. I think with the, um, you know, just with the pandemic and the shutdowns, I think people are just fighting to keep things open and going and everybody's throwing in extra effort. And I think burnout is just one of those things that's not... Maybe you can't admit burnout, you know, but <laughs> I think everybody, you know, I, I, as the weekends and weekdays sort of blend together and that that clear barrier between work and home life um, becomes blurry as well. You know, I can see there's an open door for burnout. So as I understand it, resi- uh, resilient teams push against that. But how does a resilient team push against burnout and promote well-being? Yeah, so um, so burnout is essentially the manifestation of chronic workplace stress. And what happens, and I think where we get the burnout conversation wrong sometimes in organizations is we look to individuals and we say, well, if you could just get better at managing your stress, then you know you wouldn't have this problem and, and you would be fine. And in reality, what we know from the research very clearly is that um, what causes burnout is oftentimes very much leader and organizational driven. It's values, process, culture, systems that just don't work for the way that people really need and want to work. And so what happens is if you can, if you can sort of create kind of the positive culture that we need to see to prevent burnout on your team, it it becomes more palatable to organizations, right? Because an organization is thinking like, well, don't, don't make us change at the organizational level. It's kind of creating those positive cultures at the team level becomes much more doable. And then it takes the pressure off of individuals also to feel like, I have to do something myself in order to, or why can't I, or maybe it's just me. And um, we know that that's a much smaller piece of the equation. And so kind of focusing at that little microsystem team level becomes a really powerful way to deploy strategies that really can meaningfully prevent burnout at work. You know, one of the things I've noticed in my career, you know, not, not just with myself, but like with other people, other managers that I've worked with or worked for, um, you know, one of the common elements I see is that, uh, you know, when management wants to make an improvement process, or I guess really any employee wants to make an improvement, sometimes a little distance, a little bit of ability to step back from the task as opposed to being, you know, nose totally on the grindstone all the time makes that possible. There's like this time to reflect. So, you know, how important just in your experience is time to reflect to make changes that you need to make? I mean, how important is that to, you know, getting over the hump of uh, some of those uh, things that you're trying to improve? I feel like you've been listening in on like a bunch of my coaching calls. That Have I? Been having after some of my <laughs> you never know yeah. with, with Zoom these days, you never know. <laughs> you really do not know, right? Um, no, it comes up in almost every um, conversation that I have with lawyers and leaders when I have a chance to talk to them or work with them one-on-one after kind of a group workshop that I do. Um, the need to pause and reflect um, becomes really critical for a lot of reasons. And I think it is um, really an entry point into self-awareness. We know that leaders play such a huge role in whether burnout happens within a team and within an organization. And oftentimes we're just so crazy busy that we have our head down. We're not even realizing that maybe some of the things that we're doing are actually promotive of burnout or getting in the way of team members being able to really function effectively. And so it's always one strategy that I talk about with people is like, what's your pause? Where's, where's, where are your moments of pause? How are you getting that? And I've even had to look at that for myself because what I used to do is I um, you know, would be flying home oftentimes in the evenings and I would use my, I was a window seat person. My reflection or pause time would be just kind of staring out the window as, as, I'm, as I'm flying home and kind of get, getting a chance to kind of go over what I just did or where do I want to go next with what I want to do with my business. Just those moments of, of kind of you know, self-reflection. And so I've had to figure out different ways to do that for myself. And so, but it's really important 
Um, especially, you know, if you're leading and trying to, you know, produce work, that's a really powerful, you know, hard combination to, to deal with. And so, yeah, having and an actively creating those regular moments of reflection become very important. Yeah, no, I think I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, that's been one of uh, just a personal challenge. You know, we've had a lot of work, you know, especially during the pandemic, and it's been a lot of, uh, you know, late nights and, you know, uh, weekends mm-hmm. and things like that. But I, I realized that I need to get away, uh, you know, go for a hike or go for a walk at some point. And as, um, you know, when you're stressed out about hitting a deadline, as um, counterintuitive as a break might sound as you're sweating a deadline, it really does open a field of options. And I've had a lot of breakthroughs with that just brief time away where I'm not, it's not on my mind. I'm not being pressed. I'm like, ah, little moment of reflection. Now I think I'm seeing this puzzle more clearly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. And it's, it's also, you know, you talked about boundaries at the, at the, you know, top of the, at the top of the show. And it's one other consistent theme that I'm hearing from everyone is like, I have no boundaries anymore. You know, it's just like the moments just in the time just flows right on in because I don't have a commute. I don't have, you know, in-person meetings or other breaks that would normally, you know, break up my day. And so actively needing to put those those boundaries back in and the moments of taking a walk or taking a hike or having those moments of self-reflection also help to kind of segment the day in a way that makes it seem that you're taking a pause. And I think that, you know, one of the challenges that I have in, in talking with legal professionals is that we're, we're so good at always being on and putting our head down and just kind of driving forward that I think sometimes we see breaks as almost a sign of weakness. Like, like we should be able to just put our head down and power through and don't tell me that I, you know, have to stop or what have you. And we start to see breaks as deviations from performance when in reality, they're the thing that's really going to help you to enhance your performance. And there's just scores of, of research supporting the fact that particularly with stress management and burnout prevention, you have to do them. I mean, we're not robots. We have to, um, and I call them micro breaks, just so people don't think I'm talking about like an hour long thing if you can't do that, but like five minutes, 10 minutes, sprinkled in here and there adds up and it becomes really, really important for our stress management and our mental health. Well, one last question for you uh, about communication. And so I know that, uh, you know, we were pretty remote even before the pandemic started uh, with a lot of our employees. And so just in different sides of the country having to stay in sync, but we did have a, a significant portion of our team from Denver, you know, go off and be remote. They were in our kind of main facility office and now everybody's working at home. And so, you know, just to make sure that we're not uh, miscuing things and messing up and, and, and uh, you know, talking past each other, communication's been you know, really important. You know, we've upped the frequency of our meetings just to make sure that we're on task and everybody's kind of working in sync. But uh, you, know, you talk about uh, with with uh, these resilient teams, the the importance of high quality connections. And so I think that has something to do with uh, communication. So maybe, you know, if you could give us a definition to what a high quality uh, connection is and then, you know, put it in front of a resilient team. And why is that so important to that resilient team? Yeah. So first and foremost, um, one of the benchmarks of resilience at any level or thriving or happiness or well-being, any of these good things that we're talking about that we need and want, um, it's hard to get there without having strong relationships and a strong you know, measure of support. We need to have people that we can rely on and tap into and draw on when the going gets tough. And that's really critical 
you know, for teams as well. There's a whole science around what makes a connection high quality, right? As opposed to low quality or just your basic everyday connection. Or just so medium high, quality contact, just or, or like just medium <laughs> run of the road contact, no problem. So we want to we, we go higher than medium. Yeah, we're going high quality here. Um, but it, it's being respectful with each other. It's engaging with each other. It's, it's each person in the relationship wanting the best and actively pursuing the best for that other person. There's a sense of interpersonal trust, which is formed very much when I can predict your behavior. I know how you're going to act. I know what you're going to say. And if you're going to act differently than I know you to be, you're going to give me a heads up about it. So that becomes important. And then the research also talks about, um, they call, the research calls it play. And I just call it you know ease. There's, there's an ease about the relationship. I can show up as myself. I don't have to change who I am to be part of a high quality connection or a high quality relationship. And there's a lightness about it. You know, we can have fun. There's positive emotions. We can joke. And um, you know, there's, there's that ease about the relationship. So it's kind of that cluster of traits that, that we know go into making a connection high quality. Well, we've reached the end of the road for this episode, but I want to thank you, Paula, for stopping by and chatting with us. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. And also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.